Well, praise the Lord. Let's go back to our passage here this morning in 1 Peter. <clears throat> Last week we were looking at Revelation. This week, we, as we began three, two weeks ago in the God's new thing, and today we're looking at the seed of new life. The seed of new life found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and beginnings of chapter 2. Wonderful to find these great words we have here and pray as we look at them, they might be a blessing to us. <clears throat> the essence of the gospel is that Christ came into the world to bring life to man. Men and women who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Just as a seed produces physical birth, so divine life springs from this incorruptible seed, the word of God that is mentioned here. If so be that you have tasted the Lord is gracious, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow by it, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God. So this seed is described as the living and abiding word of God there in verse 23 of chapter 1. Let's examine this little, a little more closely, closely today and see what it is saying to us. We see, first of all, as is in the outline in the bulletin, the seed of new life is the distinctive word of God, it's the dynamic word of God, and it's the directive word of God. Let's pray before we begin to look at these thoughts. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have in our hands today and we can have it in our hearts and our heads and our, our minds, Lord, the word of God. We can read it. We can meditate upon it. We can know the mind of God because we have the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have delivered this through faithful men by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we, 2,000 years later, the word being preserved, we can read it and know what your will is. Lord, we can look into the seed of the word of God and as, as unsaved people, we can read it and hear it and understand it and comprehend it and be convicted about it and be saved. And I pray that everyone here before they leave today would know what it is to have the seed of the word of God planted in their heart, in their life, that they are one of your children. Bless us as we consider these thoughts this morning. Lord, we do pray for Mavis and family as the funeral is arranged this week that you would be with them and give wisdom and, Lord, opportunity to share the word of God on our brother's passing. Lord, I pray for my brother in hospital there, for his family, for those around him. You'd strengthen and encourage and, Lord, that your will may be done. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the seed of new life is the distinctive word of God. The word of God which liveth and abideth forever, it reads in the last part of chapter 1, verse 23. Liveth and abideth forever. <laughs> Get to know the word of God. It's not going away anytime soon. It's with us forever. It's the word of inerrancy. Since the Bible reflects the nature and the character of an infallible God, we must accept the fact that this book that we have 
is divine. It's without error. It's without admixture. It's unified. The prophecies of it are true. It's history proves its inerrancy as we read through the history of it. And I'd rather read this book than history books. It gets it in God's perspective. You see, history talks about nations all over the place. The Bible talks about a nation God selected in Israel to disseminate his word to the other nations. This is the focal point that God wants us to concentrate on. Yes, you can read the others as they relate to this. And we're doing that on Monday nights. We've done it on Monday nights all last year, church history. This year on New Testament church history. And it's, it's good to know these things. Turn back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 and 21. <clears throat> or through to 21. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy unto which you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star the Lord Jesus arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, don't isolate it, interconnect it with other scriptures. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved along by the Holy Spirit. It's a word that is inerrant. And God has preserved it, has he not? That we today, 2,000 years from a lot of or the New Testament being written, we have the accurate word of God. The inerrant word of God. There's no admixture of error in it at all. Some years ago, <clears throat> the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy was speaking on a campus to some sem seminary students at the invitation of the conservative student body, usually which make up very few. <laughs> they presented the case for inerrancy as a necessary element for this authority of scripture. But many of the students objected by denying the need for authority in general. Later, a student wrote to one of the uh, chaps that were invited there to speak in the following manner. He wrote this letter. I've never held to the doctrine of inerrancy, and yet I found myself siding with you as today's discussion proceeded. Is it not true that behind most of the questions you received was a crypto-culture Christianity, that is, a secret capitulation to the try-it-you'll-like-it mentality of our civilization. That is how it seemed to me. Most questions did not, did not seem to be engaged to the point-for-point -point argument of the substantial theological issue. Rather, most seem to think that to preach the gospel in this day and age, one does not need a place to stand. All that one has to do is to stand in the pulpit and say, not thus saith the Lord, but try it and you'll like it. Hmm. I'm surprised that I found myself feeling that you too were right and all of us were wrong. At least insofar as this very basic point is concerned, why we stand, where we stand, makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I think he observed it correctly, even though he wasn't minded that way to start with in that. If... The scripture has errors in it. If it's got one error, how can you trust the rest? A little leaven leaveneth the 
whole lump. The scripture is without error. And how can, that's why we can trust it. That's why we can believe it totally. And so the seed of the word of God is the distinctive word of God. It's without error. Secondly, it's, it is the word of authority. When the scripture speaks, who is speaking? God is speaking. This is the only way in which we can view the Bible. It must be that way. We have no right to debate or question what we say. We have a situation in our world today where a lot of churches have discussion groups to discuss the word of God. God has said by the foolishness of preaching, people will be saved. Discussion is bringing the opinion of man over the word of God. We've got to get back to the authority of the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. We've got to believe that. How can we believe it for our eternal life if it's not trustworthy and it hasn't got the authority? God's voice, his word, is the only voice of authority. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We should know this one by heart. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's a word of authority in all these areas and covers life. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Can you say that with what you believe? Thus saith the Lord. We have to dethrone ourselves from being the order, attempting to be the authority and let God be the authority. I mean, who is God? How great is he? He's wonderful, he's mighty, he's all-knowing. He has all authority. And that one day soon will be seen in the world. Thirdly, under the distinctive word of God, it's not only inerrant, it has authority, it is the word of eternity. First Peter, back there, chapter 1 and verse 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man like the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and its flower falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth for how long? Ever. This is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. It's the word of eternity. The grass comes, the grass goes, it withers. The trees grow, the trees die. There's some old ones, 4,000. Probably no, I, I wouldn't say any longer than 4,000 years old because the flood happened back then. See, I go by the authority of the word of God. <laughs> That's what it says. It gives the generations. We can count it backwards from here and we can come up with that date for, for Noah's flood around that time. But the trees, <clears throat> they go, they die, they shrivel up, they fail. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. The, the world will wax old like a garment and the Lord will fold it up and put it away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, for eternity. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Mark thirteen thirty one. The words of man may fail, but God's word stands forever. And it's also a distinctive in that it has vitality. It is the instrument which the Holy Spirit uses to bring about new life to a person that hears the word of God. 
It is a spirit that quickeneth. Go to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 63. We have written there, It is a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. There's vitality in the word of God. When we are testifying to unsaved people, what they need to hear is not our theories, not our arguments. What they need to hear is the authoritative, vital word of God that can convict them of their sin. That's why it's so important to memorize scripture so that on the, in the heat of the moment, at the time of testifying to somebody, the word just comes. Isn't it wonderful when you're talking to a person and a word, just a word comes and then a verse comes. Just bang after one, one after the other. Who's doing that? The Holy Spirit is using what that individual needs through you as you've prepared your heart, pre-prepared in studying, meditating on the word of God. So it's vital that we use the scriptures. If you go to chapter 3 of John's Gospel and verses 5 to 7, here the Lord's talking to Nicodemus. In chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, we read this. And Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, are born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. And how did Nicodemus come to believe? By the vital word of God of, through the Lord Jesus being spoken directly to him. What, what was it in your life that was a turning point where you realised you are a sinner needed to be saved? You think back. What from the word of God was it that spoke to you? Has it spoken to you? Has it become so convicting you couldn't put it down, you couldn't forget about it, you couldn't get it out of your mind? The Holy Spirit was knocking. <laughs> and he was using this, the vital word of God to bring about your salvation. Yes, there's something unique and supernatural about this book, the Bible, the Holy Word of God. And remember that even the Lord Jesus himself, when tempted by the devil, what did he pull out? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and he refuted the devil, Jesus Christ, the creator of everything. He used the Word to defeat the devil in the temptation. In Psalm 138 verse 2, it reads, God has exalted or magnified his Word above his name. And you start studying the names of God... And then you read that verse and think he is exalted or magnified his word above his name. It's very important, folk. Don't treat this lightly. That's why in the scriptures it warns those that will take from it or add to it or put their opinion in it instead of letting it speak to us. We try to speak to it. It warns people not to do that because his name will be taken out of the book of life. Keep the word. We have everywhere churches, well, it doesn't matter what the word is or what text you use or what original text you use. It is important, these things. The second point here this morning, it's not only the distinctive word of God in its inerrancy, authority, eternality and vitality, it's the seed. Secondly, the seed of new life is a dynamic word of God. Being born again, as it says in verse uh, 23 of chapter 1. <laughs> Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. 
Inherent in the word of God is a dynamic power. The word of God has a revealing power in Jesus Christ, and we've touched on some of these things. In verse 25 of chapter 1, there, <coughs> back in, I'm going to turn there. The word of God endureth forever, and this is the word. This is the word which is preached unto you, a revealing power. <laughs> when you become a Christian, can you remember the convicting and revealing power of the Holy Spirit of your sin, saying that you need to become a Christian, you need to repent of your sin, you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of the Bible, we have no gospel, no message for a sin-sick world that's racing to destruction. The only hope for mankind is revealed in the Bible through, via the Lord Jesus Christ. The revealing power. And we haven't time, but in the book of Acts, I've listed these men. In Acts 24, 25, there is Paul preached the word of God to Felix. Felix trembled. This is a man in authority. This is a Roman who's in authority. He trembled before the word of God. A good study. I, ha I haven't heard it preached. I know I've preached it some time back about the people that trembled before the word, <laughs> before God. And it's a good point to look at. And Felix trembled, knowing what he was hearing was truth, but he wasn't willing to repent. He wasn't willing to turn. I mean, pride. I'm a leader. If I say this is right, look at, look, look at everyone will say about me. Think of what they'll do to me. Hey, ask Felix now. Go, go to where Felix is now and ask him, would you, if you had a second round at life, repent? Would you just tremble or would you fall before the Lord God Almighty and get saved, no matter what the consequences? And I know he would say, I would repent. I believe he would. <laughs> and then there's Festus in Acts 26, 24. <clears throat> he was so arrogant. He said to the Apostle Paul, he said, Paul, yeah, I know you understand. I know you're a cluey man. <laughs> Paul was... He, he was a high IQ man. But Festus said, Paul, you're beside yourself. Give it up. Live the life. I mean, get a life. That's what they would say in modern terms, wouldn't they? Paul, you're giving it away. You're losing your life for this Christianity stuff. Isn't it far better? If you could go and ask Paul now. Well, there is a button in Caesarea Philippi down on the coast, if you ever get to Israel, it says, ask Paul. You press the button <laughs> and it comes up in Hebrew, English or whatever language. You have to press that one first and press ask Paul. <laughs> and it, it gives a recording. This is, this is a Jewish government put it there and it's New Testament Bible verses. Ask Paul. <laughs> I'm surprised they have that there, but they did. Ask Paul now. Was it worth giving up your life, giving up the privilege to be married and going all over the world and getting beat and whipped and shipwrecked, spat upon and, and lowered down in baskets? I mean, an exciting life. <laughs> but is it, was it worth it? And what would he say? A thousand times yes. I'll do it all again. It's the dynamic word of God. It reveals to us, and Paul realised that this is the word of God. 
by which the gospel is preached unto you. Have we believed? There was another man in Acts 26, 25. These are all leaders. Felix, Festus, and the other one, Agrippa. And Agrippa was a thinking man. And he considered a thinking leader. And he said this. Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. You've revealed through the word of God my standing and my need for repentance. Almost. Now, if he didn't get saved later, he would be just dwelling on those words that I said to Paul. You know, when they both parted, let's see, Paul would have gone to be with, yeah, yeah, because the Lord had already taken, emptied paradise out, hadn't he? <laughs> but I was going to say, they could look and talk across the gulf like the rich man. And, you know, why didn't you believe? You've had your opportunity, Paul, could preach across the gulf, but I don't think that happened. We can imagine. <laughs> And I, I could say that Agrippa would still say, and if we could stand him here before our congregation this morning, he would say, repent, repent, be saved today. I was thinking, after Brother Spencer passed away on Wednesday morning, and I found out, I think I got my times right. <laughs> and I was thinking about 20 hours later, it'd be good to talk to him now, after 20 hours. <laughs> Of being in the Lord's presence. But we do have that in scripture, don't we? A man in the body, whether in the body or out of the body, he saw and heard un things unlawful for a man to utter. And so <clears throat> the revealing power of the word of God brings people to their knees, makes them tremble, makes them almost believe, but praise God, it made you, I pray, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A missionary had just completed a translation of a portion of scripture into an African dialect and was trying it out on a man who was totally ignorant of the gospel. As he came to those words, in him, that is the Lord Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The chief interjected with a plea, say that again, say that again, I am in darkness and I need light. His face was aglow with his sightless eyes, his sightless eyes were filled with tears as the simple message of life and light in Christ penetrated his darkness through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter means when he says, this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you there in verse 25. The word of God has redeeming power. It's dynamic, revealing power, redeeming power. <laughs> We discover in God's word that men and women are slaves to sin. Read Romans 1 to 3. The Lord's come to redeem us. The cost of his own blood, cost of his own life. He made it possible for our salvation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, says the scripture. There's life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliverance from our sin. In Galatians 3.13 it reads, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5 it reads, To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. In Titus 2.14, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. The word of God has redeeming power. Praise God, he works through it. You know, we can't persuade. God can persuade. 
God can talk through his word to people and redeem them. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Remember the redeeming power in the life of the demonic maniac. When he heard the gospel, when he was delivered of those demons, that he had a legion of them, he was sitting and clothed and of sound mind. Remember, remember old Nebuchadnezzar, who was mad and seven years eating grass like the ox, when he looked up to heaven and recognised who the Lord was, his senses returned to him. Folk who are unsaved are living a senseless life, a life that's going to end in eternal damnation. And they need to turn around, they need to look up and see the Lord and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And how shall they call on him whom, whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? It's up to us. God uses us to take the word, the redeeming word, the revealing word to them. And it's the renewing word as well. It's dynamic in that it re renews individuals. Again, 1 Peter 1.23, by the word of God. As the gospel is preached, the spirit of God uses the truth to bring out the miracle or to bring about the miracle of the new birth. You know, <clears throat> as the seed falls into the ground, I got my seeds again. <laughs> my good old weighed down wheat from Brother Dunn. This is the only memory, Brother Dunn, of your farm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That'd be a memory. <laughs> we'll have to keep them. <laughs> He's sold the farm, but this seed, if he'd kept it and put it back in the next year, if it wasn't Monsanto's, <laughs> would be, would have bought forth hundreds of fold. <laughs> and we'd have a church full of seeds. What does God want us to do? To take the spiritual word, the word of God, the seed of the word of God, and plant it in the hearts of people that, it, that literally not this silo of a church might be full, but it might be filled with people redeemed. How can they hear unless someone tells them? Let us be about the telling of other, to others of, of the gospel of Christ. Take that. In John's gospel, chapter 12, we'll turn to this one. John 12 and <clears throat> verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat. What do we say? A kernel <laughs> of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. As I said, if you'd taken this out and this is about, what, eight years ago? I think I got these from you. And he had multiplied that each time. There would be, there might be a silo that could have come from that. A thirty ton. I don't know. You'd have to start working it out. A farmer could do it for you. Work out how much from whatever many heads here we have that would have produced. What are we producing? What are we bringing forth? How many seeds have we sown? How many paddocks have we ploughed up? How many weeds have we pulled out? You know. This is what we need to be doing. Eternity is going to start for all of us soon. How have we planted? How much have we planted? How much is growing as a result of us talking to people? Look, you, from here, as I say, you have multitudes of contacts. 
You've got them in hospitals. You've got them in ambulance services. You've got them in industry, in industry, postal department, teaching, chaplaincy, home. <laughs> and if we go through each one, school, you can be planting the seed where I will never be or never allowed to be. But you can be there and you can be sowing those seeds that they would come forth in multitudes. And you know, when we get into eternity, it will be worth it all. The sacrifice, the time, the effort you had to give up in this world to do that for the Lord and for others. The seed is a dynamic word, revealing, redeeming, renewing. It has a renewing power. It gives life. And we need to fall into the ground and die to self and to sin and to Satan and to the things of this world. He that loveth his life will lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it. It's pretty obvious what that means. Are you willing to sacrifice time, effort, whatever it takes to get the seed out? And last, third point. I don't say last, it's the third point. The seed of the new, li if no, new life is the directive word of God. 1 Peter 1.22, if we go back there. Verse 22, seeing that ye have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. The Word of God is very clear in the directions it gives for our lives. It is the directive Word of God. The Bible demands obedience, and God has every right to demand obedience of his subjects, and we are his subjects. Now, we might be willing subjects or unwilling, but God will have every knee to bow and every tongue confess to him. The sin of disobedience, as in the case of King Saul, brought down his kingdom or his kingship. We need to obey the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sin of disobeying the gospel will be judged by God with eternal punishment. God will say to that person that will not repent and that will not obey the gospel, if they go out into eternity in that state, he will say, I gave you this world. I gave you life. I gave you air. I gave you food. I had the sun to rise, the moon to come up all the days of your life. I gave you a man or a woman or a, a, a mum, dad or a grandparent that told you about the gospel and you said no I gave my only begotten son that you might have life. And you said no. And a person will just shrink before the presence of the great white throne judgment. And it'll be a horrific time for multitudes of millions of people when God does that. God demands the obedience of faith as we read in these verses here. <clears throat> in verse 21, who by him do believe in God who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and your hope might be in God. God demands the obedience of faith. What does it say in the book of Hebrews? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to him must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The gospel needs to be obeyed. 
We hear received. <laughs> I think it's better put obeyed. What does it tell us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse about 8? God in flaming fire and vengeance will come upon those who will not obey the gospel. It's there in black and white. Is there someone in your family? Is there a family member? Is there a child? Is there a grandparent? Is there a father, a mother, an uncle, an aunt, sister that have not obeyed? I can think. We all have them. And our prayer ought to be that they repent, they trust the Lord Jesus and obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in God, not in man, not in our works, not in institutions, not in religion, but faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus, in what he has done for us. Secondly, under the directive word of God, it, it, it commands we obey the gospel. It commands we have the obedience of hope as well. In that verse 21 that we read, your faith and hope might be in God. Ask, tell me today, where is most people's hope today? What is it in? <laughs> I think it's unanimous, isn't it? Money or possessions, things that we have. Have you got any faith or hope in the government? Have you got hope in the world leaders? It's heating up over there. Mr. Putin's been put in a corner by England. He'll do what he did, as sneaky as he is. <laughs> he, they say he's done this just in time for the election in Russia so that the West would react as they have, predictable, and that he would say, see, they're all against us. You stand for me and we'll stand against them. And I, and I thought the interviewer that, was, that put those things or the commentator, he's pretty right on. Can you put your hope in these... Are they going to solve the problem? Not at all. Not at all. You know, even, even Facebook and GetUp or Chat or something, whatever those things, people that originated those things have now turned and said they're no good, I didn't think they'd be used for this, and, and I read this week they're trying to backpedal and say it's bad. What they're using it for is bad. What's happening in the world is bad. And we feel guilty about this. This is not Christians either. They're thinking about... The, the, we haven't got hope in this world. There is no hope. But in Christ Jesus, there is great hope. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians and see. There is great hope in the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> It talks, first of all, in verses 12 and following there, that if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. We've found false witnesses. And in verse 17, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you're yet in your sins. You're, you're without hope. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we have all, me all men most miserable. You see, but it's not just in this life we have hope in Christ, is it? This life will be like the, the is it the, um, it's not, might be Psalms or Proverbs, is man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upwards. That's this life. But in the life to come, it's not like that. Last Sunday night, we were looking at that. 
We have great hope in Christ. But if Christ is not raised, we are most miserable people. We're sitting here in church and not enjoying our flesh and in the pleasures of sin for a season, as Hebrews talks about it. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, is the hope of the, the world, unsaved people. But for the Christian, our hope is in Christ and restricting ourselves from these fleshly appetites, we have the hope of eternal life in the Lord Jesus. And in verse 20 it reads, But now is Christ risen from the dead. Statement of fact. And become the first fruits of those that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every single person. Some to damnation and some to glorification. And so where is your hope? The obedience of hope. And uh, <clears throat> Romans 8 and Romans 5 speak about the hope that we have in the Lord and in 1 Corinthians here. Lastly, it is the last point. The word of God demands obedience of love as well. Back in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. The obedience of love. I think Tony touched on some of these, the word of God this morning. But, the, but love, he touched on that and the relationship with, uh, in, a human, in human terms. And likening that to the love we ought to have for the Lord and his word. And again, Tony, it works out the message you did in that adult class and the one this morning. That dovetailed together with that. <clears throat> the love for the word of God and the love for one another. The obedience of love. You know, we are commanded to love one another. And this is the greatest commandment, that you love God, and that the second, you love one another. Yes, we've seen here today, <clears throat> planting of the seed of the word of God, the distinctive word. Trustworthy, authoritative, the dynamic word. It's power to reveal, redeem, and renew. It's directive word, which we've seen Obey in faith, obey in hope, and obey in love. The gospel preach demands an answer from you. Will you obey the gospel? Will you trust the Lord? Or will you stay in your bondage? To listen to the word, this word calls for a verdict. To accept its message is to come into blessing. To reject its message is to remain in bondage. Are you going to believe in the seed of new life that can be planted? And um, whatever, 50 years ago, I trusted the Lord. The seed was planted. Or whatever that evangelist's name was. <laughs> The seed was planted in the morning service. And Tullamarine Airport hadn't been built at that time. There was only Essendon Airport. And we went down and watched the jets take off because we were from the farm, you see. You didn't see those things, those things happening. And they were roaring out. But all in here was this question that I had. If I die now, I'm not going to heaven. Kept on going over and over in mind. About 12 years old. I'm not going to heaven. 
And so I couldn't wait for the evening service. Praise God. Evangel Ridley, that's his name. Evangelist Ridley gave an invitation. And in those days, many got saved. And in that day too, I remember, there wasn't enough people to talk to the people that came forward. And praise God that he did a transaction in my life. And on the way home in the old E.H. Holden, six kids, some in the back, no seat belts. I was in the front between mum and dad. And I remember it was a column shift thing and dad said, you'll never regret the decision you made. You'll never regret it. If you come to the Lord Jesus, you'll never regret getting saved. Why don't you come to the Lord today? Let's pray. Thank you for your word, the seed, the sower and the seed. We could talk about much more about many seeds, but Lord, the seed has been planted. I pray that it has been planted by your spirit in a heart today that they would obey the gospel and be delivered from eternal damnation. For us Christians, that we might be out planting seeds, Lord, the longer we leave it, the less time and opportunity we have. May we start that our silos might be filled on the day of our parting. The glory would be bring, brought to the Lord Jesus from the multitudes that come to salvation through the Lord Jesus by our testimony given. Bless us as we go our way and for the baptism this afternoon may be a time of blessing. And praise to you, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.